This is episode 10 of the Soul of Sensitivity podcast. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for help from a licensed physician or mental health practitioner. I'm your host, Anna Holden, an intuitive, energy alchemist, Ayurvedic health educator, and yoga teacher, as well as the founder of Sensitivity Uncensored and the Sacred Rebellion. Each week on the podcast, I explore different aspects of living a soulful, sensitive life. I'll bring you stories of other sensitive, creative pioneers, as well as my own thoughts, teachings, and tools. This is not the beginner's guide to sensitivity, but rather the place for sensitive souls to gather up their courage and pioneer their way into a life of personal freedom and spiritual sovereignty. Your sensitivity is sacred. Are you ready to live that way? Hey everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today I'm excited to have an interview with Amy Day. But before we get into the interview, I just wanted to say hey. I wanted to thank you for all the support from all of you who have been listening to the podcast and know that every email that I get, every word of encouragement, every bit of support means a lot to me. So thank you. If you're enjoying this podcast, or if you've enjoyed any of the writing on my website, I invite you to check out my Patreon page, and it's www.patreon.com forward slash sensitivity uncensored. I launched my Patreon page last week, and I've had a little bit of trouble getting started. So I'm offering a gift Uh, an extra gift to the first 10 people who pledge their support on Patreon for this podcast. Getting the ball rolling with a website like Patreon is always the most difficult part. And so I'm, I'm willing to give away something really, really exciting, which is a free 15 minute reading with me. Usually I charge at least $30 for an intuitive assessment, but this gift is available to anyone who pledges at any level of support those first 10 people. It would really go a long way to know that you're enjoying this podcast and want to see it continue, and so I wanted to throw in that extra gift for the 10 of you who have been maybe wanting to donate, wanting to support, but just haven't got around to it yet. I want to say hello to any women of color, Native women, mixed-race women who are listening to this podcast, because one of my goals is to create a diverse range of stories and voices, particularly in my interviews, and I've been reaching out exclusively uh, to women of color this last month, and I haven't gotten any responses, and I'm in this place where... I really want to have diversity, and my guess is that women of color are looking at this going, it's all white, and and I hear you, it it is, and right now those are the interviewees who are responding to me. 
So if you are or if you know a woman of color who needs a platform to share her voice and her story, I've got one. Please send her my way. All right, so let's get into the podcast for today. Today, I'm really excited to be having a conversation with Amy Day. She is a longtime yogi, writer, herbalist, mama, and lover of all things creative. She believes in crafting practices and communities which supports us inside this life right now. She believes in creating rituals and relationships that liberate, activate, and sustain us. She works with groups and individuals that are hungry for transformation. That type that shows up not just on the cellular or soul level, but that ripples into the world beyond. Through her work as a teacher, podcaster, healer, storyteller, she hopes to inspire us all to use the mighty tools we all possess to craft the type of world we wish to inhabit. One faltering and blessed step at a time. Hi, Amy, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Anna. I'm really happy to be here. Oh, no, thank you. I'm really excited to be having this conversation um, with you, talking a bit about yoga as a practice um, and what we're kind of told it has to look like and really what it can look like, what's available to us, right? So I know that, you know, for highly sensitive people in the world, we're, we're often bombarded, you know, with, with all these messages of self-care, right? And, and we're, asked to, we're often asked to take on like yoga as one of them. And, and that can feel really overwhelming because I think that yoga is often sold to us as like this practice that you have to like go somewhere to do and it takes like an hour or 90 minutes or, or something like that. So do you want to talk a little bit about this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, I mean, I think, you know, anyone who has taught, right, for any length of time can say they've had, you know, at least this happened once or twice or more, where people come up to you and say, right, you know, like, well, I want to do yoga, but I'm not flexible, or I want to do that, but I'm not strong. And your first thought is like, but that's exactly who this is for, right? I mean, like, um, and I think because of just the way, you know, living in this digital age where we have a very commodified version of the practice, um, that is what yoga has come to mean. You say yoga to someone nowadays and you don't think of like, you know, someone who has a beautiful meditation practice or someone who is powerfully present in their relationships, you know, like that's not our definition of a yogi. Our definition of a yogi right now is like, oh, you can wrap your a sweet, you know, or whatever it is, you know, like you can balance on your elbow points. And that's our definition. And I mean, and so who does that attract, right? That attracts people that are already naturally flexible, that are already, you know, have the the type of body that we think is appropriate, right? You know, the, the yogi body. Um, and it keeps the type, it keeps the people that need that medicine away from it because they look at this depiction of yoga, this tiny little sliver of the practice and they say, oh, that's the whole thing. That's, I don't see myself in that, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fat. I'm not cisgendered. I'm, you know, of a different 
um, ethnic background than all these, you know, white women in, on Costa Rican beaches that I see, <laughs> you know, like that's not me. That must not be the practice for me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a little bit heartbreaking, you know, that we, you know, cause we know as practitioners, as teachers, I mean, we came to this because we needed some medicine in our lives and we know how potent it can be. And it's just, it's, it, it's, it's sad, right. That at this moment in time, the way we, talk about the way we perceive this practice is just limited to the sliver of the physical. And so it keeps people who need it from ever, you know, stepping in to receive it. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that this can be also looked at from the lens of the teacher, because I know um, some really powerful long-term yoga teachers who, who have moved away from teaching this commodified asana-based practice, and they don't know what to call themselves anymore. Because when you say yoga teacher, right, it, it makes you think of somebody who's, who's basically, you know, choreographing, uh, you know, a, a, a fitness class. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, which, which is just, again, like you said, a really small sliver of what yoga can be, right? Mm-hmm. So for mm-hmm. those of us who are listening, um, let's, I'd like to hear from you, like, let's break it down. I mean, yoga is actually a really, really big subject, but can you mm-hmm. kind of break it down for us? Like, what is yoga? What is yoga? Because, <laughs> you know... <laughs> 36 year old white woman me is totally at a, you know, as much as anyone, I guess I'm qualified. So, I mean, when I talk about that, you know, I've been doing a lot of this, you know, kind of introspective work around it recently. We're trying to define that for myself, you know, just recently I have had to make the choice to stop teaching so many asana classes, you know, and for the the uninitiated who don't speak yoga, yoga dork Mm -hmm. speak like the rest of us do just, you know, teaching regular physical posture classes, Mm -hmm. because I realized that that was going to, that would be it. You know, that takes up a certain amount of energy, time, bandwidth from me just to teach asana, to teach physical postures. And it doesn't leave me the necessary time, energy, bandwidth to share the bigger piece of the practice. So when I talk about yoga, I think, you know, it's that, I mean, cause what it's, it's the yoking, it's the union, it's the clearing a space where we can get get clear on what's living inside of us. What, you know, we, we have enough, um, quiet, we have enough solace, we have enough solitude that we can get present with what's alive in us inside this body, heart, mind right now. And we can begin to see how we move that energy out into the world, right? You know, so it's like the more information I have about what's going on inside of me, then I can have a clear lens as to how I'm living my life, right? Mm-hmm. So to me, I think the most potent practice is it doesn't have to look like anything, right? You know, what helps you gain access to this internal landscape? What helps you get quiet? What helps you to shut the, can I cuss on your show? Yes, yes, yes. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, there's enough bomb about to come out of me. Yeah, um, you know, what, what makes it so you can just quiet this monkey mind long enough that you can hear that inner voice speak and then how do you begin to move that out into the world? How does that show up in your relationships, your work, your parenting, your partnering? Um, so that to me is what this practice is coming to mean. Um, and it has physical stuff is great because we all need a way to relate to this body in a kind and nourishing manner. But it's just, you know, when I like 
I keep saying these things nowadays. It's like, you know, kind of yoga, the physical postures, that's the gateway drug, you know, that's the thing that gets you in there and gets you feeling good and like, oh yeah, I want more of this, but let's not get stuck at the fucking gate. You know, like there's so much more. I don't want to linger at the gate. I want to see how this whole transformation can move just beyond, you know, the flexibility of my hamstrings. I want it to move into my life. So, um, yeah, yes. so that would be how I would define it I, at present. You know, I, I really love that, you know, and it goes back to the way that one of my teachers uh, defined it, you know, which is that yoga is about, you know, being able to choose a point of focus and stay there without distraction, like stay there unwavering. And there are many tools to practice that, right? You can focus on your breath. You can focus on your body. You can you know, say mantras if you'd like to, you can pray if that's your thing, you know, there's so many ways that you can work on this focus. And the point of the focus, yes, is to calm that monkey mind down and to bring awareness or consciousness to what is currently unconscious within us. Um, and like you said, like, what are the, the unconscious ways that we're moving through the world? And how do we start to witness, be witness to those and start to understand how those are working for us and, and working in our relationships and then, and then be able to create space, like you said, to change those, should we want to, you know, I remember one of my teachers, another one of my teachers said, a really good indication of whether your yoga is working is your personal relationships with other people. You know, like if your yoga is working, you are having, you are creating better relationships with others. And that, like when I first heard that, I was still a little bit at the gate, like you said, and I was like, what? Like, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I'm just going to like take that and hold it for a while. And, you know, it wasn't until I was able to move beyond the gate that I was like, oh, they're so much. I like what you said, medicine. There's so much medicine here. You know, and I was mm-hmm. kind of, um, you know, bathing in the light of the medicine. I wasn't even like in the medicine. Well, and I think that's, <laughs> yeah. And I think that's part of it too. You know, it's just like, it's, it's a dopamine hit, you know, when we step on the mat and get sweaty and move our bodies in that way, like it feels amazing. And who wouldn't want to let that just be the practice, right? You know, like, wouldn't that be great if you could just carve out an hour of your day and go through these postures and voila, your entire universe will be transformed. But (laughs) yeah, but we know it doesn't work that way. You know, if we stay in the feel good zone, just doing it again and again and again, what feels good, we never learn how to be. And I mean, and again, you know, you're people, highly sensitive people, right? Mm -hmm. We need those tools to learn how to sit with the difficult, to sit with the uncomfortable. And, um, and if it's not teaching us that, then the practice is not doing what it ought to for us. It's not working for us. So. Right. And in fact, I, you know, one of the, the problems and patterns that I saw a lot when I was actively teaching was using the time on the mat as a way to escape. Like it wasn't actually a time to sit with discomfort or to work, you know, work with the discomfort. It was a way to like escape the discomfort and then kind of leave with, you know, particularly in some really rigorous classes, leaving with the sense of kind of like a pumped up ego about 
about things rather than really being able to kind of dismantle and unravel and you know understand and shift and you know the 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 real medicine that that yoga allows and you know yeah. something for me like honestly i was one of those people and i know that you know this type of yogi because you've taught i needed an injury to take me out of the asana practice. Like I was in there like ego, just shining for, you know, I'm hypermobile, I'm super flexible, you know, and so I'm, a, I'm I get hurt really easily. And so it, it really wasn't getting injured. I mean, I was that student who needed to get injured because the injury was such a blessing in disguise because it made me go, wait a minute, this can't be all there is to yoga. Because, you know, and you don't necessarily need to have an injury to not have your, the asana classes be accessible to you. Like you said, you might have a different body type. You might have um, a disability. You know, your body might not move the way other, other people's do. You might just not feel safe in a yoga class yeah. with white, bendy people. Right. Right. So let's talk about some of the other. Well, feel free to, to expand on that should you want to. And then I want to go oh. to talking about the other aspects of the practice. Yeah. Well, I just, you know, I'll, I'll second that because I, it was about three years ago now, I had a pretty significant injury from, uh, uh, from running. And ever since then, I've had some chronic pain issues. And I, um, it's just, it's interesting, you know, I would have never have chosen this path as far as a way to, <laughs> to learn to develop my practice in other ways. I would never have chosen to be in pain and to understand what that is on a full experience level. But, um, but I don't know that I could have been taught otherwise, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So, and I, I remember teaching pregnant bodies before I ever had one. And I, I think back on it now and I'm mildly horrified because I had no <laughs> idea. I was like, oh, just, you know, just do modify, whatever. Just completely oblivious to the, the specific needs of a pregnant body. And then being in one all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my God, like what, <laughs> what an asshole. <laughs> like yeah. I had no understanding of what it was to, carry that. And, um, and so, yeah, I think injury can be a tremendous teacher because it shows us that you're, you know, I, there's one teacher that I really love. There's a woman, um, Rachel Meyer, whose work I follow, and she wrote a great piece comparing yoga to um, fight club, you know, and really the practice is here. Like you're not your back bends. You're not your $200 stretchy yoga pants. You're not this body that every day is dying, you know, like, don't identify with all that is sparkly and shiny. This is to help you to seek out and identify all the bits and pieces and to learn how to live with them inside of this world. So, um, so, yeah. so yeah, when you found yourself kind of, um, you know, with an injury, how did your yoga practice change? Like what did it actually start to look like? You know, I think, well, it, and it's taken, years I would say because I mean at first it was like you know I went from you know and I teach a really rigorous style I enjoy that you know I I, I like yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah I enjoy that but yeah <laughs> um it has taken it's been a journey inside these last few years to really reclaim that and I so initially it kind of felt like an identity crisis really because I was one of those people you know 
looking out to inform me about what the practice should be. So, you know, you scroll through Instagram, you look at the pages of yoga journal, you know, or something like that. And you see all these people doing really, really highly athletic things. And that's the practice, right? You know, and all of a sudden my body was like, I can't do that. You know, that hurts. That literally hurts. And it actually makes my quality of life worse because I'm unable to like, give my kid a piggyback. I'm unable to like walk down the beach with my partner because I injured myself doing big hip openers or whatever, trying to, you know, do this mythic thing that yoga is supposed to be. And um, it, it was really hard because I realized that the definition and the, this, the idea that being put forth was one that I couldn't, could no longer ascribe to, you know, I couldn't even aspire to it anymore. It was just like, but how am I going to be you know, how am I going to teach people? How am I going to have anything to offer if I can't do all the things, all the fancy, you know, how will people know I'm a yogi if I can't balance on my hands <laughs> or whatever? Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's been it's deeply humbling and it's, and thank God, you know, like it's given me the opportunity to be like, no, no, that serves you. Cause being able to do all those fancy things, you know, like you said, it's, that's the ego bath. It's, it feels great, but who am I serving? you know? And so being in a body that experiences pain, you know, that has gained weight, that has, you know, taken on stuff that I had never experienced before up until now, it's given me the lens and the compassion I would never have had to be able to be of service and not just chasing after, you know, an aesthetic. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I remember um, at the time that I had my injury, I was doing a very fast moving, you know, vinyasa style of yoga. And I, and I was doing a lot of it. I just completed my first teacher training. And, you know, I didn't understand hypermobility at that time. Like I didn't understand having loose joints. Um, my teachers were not well informed. They didn't understand injury prevention or, you know, any sort of um, functional anatomy at that point. And so I, I, you know, I really wasn't in good hands to be, to be honest, um, which I, that's like a, a whole other podcast, but um, <laughs> <and> <laughs> For me, my practice went from this place of feeling, you know, feeling really good. I was a gymnast when I was little. So it was like, you know, it was like that. It was like a floor routine done on a mat. You know, it was like this performance, right? And, and there was this sense that expressing myself in my body that way was really, you know, lovely. Um, but man, when I got injured, so first my practice, and, I, I, and I'm, I'm not trying to take time away, but I just, I think this is helpful for some people. Like my practice went from an hour or 90 minutes on the mat to um, 20 minutes of listening to my body, like laying on my back, like not doing anything, like laying on my back breathing and saying, hey body, like what's going on today? you know, and then it evolved from that. And I, I added a little bit of chanting. And then as I got a little bit better, I added a couple of standing poses that were really based in my physical therapy, you know, and, and so mm -hmm. the practice, it really slowed down. It focused a lot more on meditation and it, um, it turned into a practice that was only supportive of like what my body actually needed 
right? So like the, you know, the muscles and muscle imbalances that I had or whatever, like my physical therapy became um, one of my yoga practices. Doing dishes became a yoga practice. You know, meditation became a yoga practice. And I started really being able to expand the way that I thought about yoga, you know, focusing the mind, making the conscious or that, sorry, making the conscious, gosh, making the unconscious (laughs) conscious, (laughs) right? Um, And so it became more of this living thing rather than this like thing I do in the morning. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Well, and I just, I'd love to hear, you know, you work with people privately. I'd love to hear some of the ways that that you've, um, you know, helped help people, you know, expand their idea of what a practice can look like and how it can serve them. Um, well, so in the work that I've done, it's really interesting because for a while, you know, when I started, you know, putting it out there, you know, I'm I'm working with people individually now, that was where people's heads went was like, you know, oh, private yoga. And I've done some of that. And I I came, you know, which, you know, private, private asana, (laughs) which is useful to a point, you know, and it's great to be able to help someone refine their practice. But my heart's really not in that, I found. Um, What, what lights me up and what feels like the most um, useful thing I can do with my time and my gifts and my abilities is to take what you said, you know, this notion of being mindful, being aware, being deeply present, being reverent, even, you know, all of the attributes and attitudes that we ascribe to practice. And that oftentimes we, you know, as soon as we roll up the mat, we leave all of that behind, you know, it's like we have this tiny little island that we reserve while we're in in yoga land to be reverent and observant and take deep breaths and honor our body. Um, And then we leave and all of that's history. And then we wonder why the practice isn't working, right? (laughs) And so I... The, what has felt like the most honoring of what I can bring to people is to take that lens and move it into some aspect of, um, of a life that is feeling blocked, that is needing attention, that is needing um, some love and some reverence and some attunement um, and just building upon this idea of practice. You know, like one of my favorite hashtags is <laughs> the Patabi Joyce, you know, practice and all is coming because they're really, really, and it has to move beyond just the physical practice. You know, yes, if we roll out the mat every day, we are going to get better at the physical practice and it will spill over in certain ways into other aspects of our lives. But what if we really need practice um, inside of our relationship, you know, like getting present, not saying the thing that is hard and bitter in the midst of a difficult conversation. What if we really, really need to learn how to be more present and compassionate in our parenting, in our, you know, the way we feed ourselves, you know, the way we interact with money, the way we interact in the world, you know, so that has become what I get most excited about is when we can take these basic principles, you know, um, and move them out of, I think every spiritual practice, you know, like whatever path you're on. And for me, this has been the thing that has spoken most clearly to my heart. And so this is my personal little toolkit, right. That I'm like, okay, guys, I'm so excited about this. I got to share it with you. We got to implement it in all these pieces of the world. But I mean, that's when, that's when things change, you know, not just individually, but collectively. So whatever we have found that lights up our hearts and our beings, it has to leave 
this, you know, the sanctuary, it has to leave the ashram, it has to leave the synagogue, it has to leave that allocated place, and it has to have avenues to which it can pour out into our waking world. And that's, that's when shit happens, you know? Yeah, you know, so, you know, and this just makes me think of one of the things that my teacher said once is that yoga is a psychology it's like a way of thinking. It's a way of working with the mind, body, soul system, you know, and that really helped me kind of do what you're doing with it, you know, kind of taking it and, and, and um, you know, taking something that resonates and using that as like the lens through, you know, which I'm, I'm looking at the world. And so that's been really helpful to me in understanding it like, yeah, the mat is one place I can practice. You know, I can use postures to help me understand where I might be um, resistant to my true nature, where I might be um, having some blockages around communication in my relationships. Like I can use postures as a tool and I can use other things as a tool, right, to, to help me achieve yeah. this goal of a focus. So I'm curious then, um, this is always kind of a loaded question, but what does your daily practice look like? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I have become somewhat religious, one might say, I suppose, just, um, I kind of try to, religious is the wrong word, <laughs> a bit just, you know, I try to find some, I have kind of a, a system, I guess you could say, that I try to implement on a daily basis. And it helps for me to do it in the morning mm -hmm. before my child is awake, before my partner is awake. And there's just kind of glimmer of, you know, the first cup of coffee and some silence and just time to be. So there's, um, there's a book called the, I think it's called the magic morning miracle, miracle morning. That's what it's called. And, uh, there's this, so, um, they've done studies to show like what, you know, what helps people, um, show up presently and powerfully in the world. And so they found that there's commonalities across all, um, all these different, you know, high performing people that they have certain things that they implement into their day. And so it's, it's an acronym, it's SAVERS. And so the, the idea is the, the, anyway, I won't go too far into it. So I try to follow this path of um, every day I allow some time for silence, um, some time for affirming, um, some kind of affirmation, some time for um, working with just envisioning and dropping into intention, some time to move my body, um, some time to, to write and just put things out on the page. And, um, you know, if I, if I have time <laughs> to, to bring something in as well, you know, read something or, um, mm. yeah, fill my cup in that way. So I find some element of that. If I can allocate, you know, even just five minutes where I sit and I listen to my breath and I just allow myself to get spacious and quiet, if I can move my body in some way. And I mean, it looks really, really different from day to day. You know, sometimes it's just rolling out the mat. And like you said, literally lying around and just saying, you know, okay, what, what needs attention? What needs love right now? Other times it looks more like a really freaky dance practice, you know, <laughs> it's, it's really become, it's become this relationship, right? You know, of like, um, it's, it's funny now too, just even, I noticed how my, my languaging when I do teach now has changed from like, you know, do this, do that to there's a lot more spaciousness within the postures. Now I find myself saying things like, you know, 
do what feels most nourishing to you right now. Check in with yourself and see how this posture wants to breathe and move and be, you know, be done from the inside out. And it's a very different way of just like performing the posture the way you were supposed to do it. Mm-hmm. And another, you know, this is, so it's, it's just become a lot more, a lot more kind and it's become a lot more introspective and a lot more um, instead of you do this because damn it, I'm telling you to, it's a lot more, what do you need? What can I give you? What can I offer you that's going to be the most supportive, that's going to set you up for an optimal experience, not of just this moment, but of the rest of your day. So um, I love that. I love that. And I mean, I hope that the listeners are hearing, like, I love that you explain that personal practice because what I heard in that was an incredible amount of freedom. You know, Mm. it's not like, oh, well, you know, I always feel like as a yoga teacher, I'm expected to say like, I roll out my mat and I chant for 15 minutes and I practice yoga. I practice postures for 90 minutes and then I shavasana for him. It's like, no, mama's got no time for that, right? <laughs> I mean, like, like seriously. So yeah, you know, mine looks kind of similar, although my child gets up really early. So mm-hmm. I don't get that time until... Um, childcare kind of takes over. And then, yeah, for me, there's a, I, I do a lot of sound practice with my singing bowls. I do mm. sitting in silence. I do some soul journaling and you're right. It, to me, it looks kind of different on it on a day-to-day basis, but those are kind of the, the pieces for me too. So, yeah. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, and talk about some of <laughs> discomfort that I'm currently dealing with within this yoga world. Um, let's, so you're white and I'm white and we're two white yoga teachers. And um, let's talk about yoga, cultural appropriation, colonization and commodification right? This is like, I know we're both like taking a deep breath. Here. Yeah. Yeah. This, yeah. You know, this is some tricky stuff. This is some heavy stuff. And I've seen this like so horribly um, approached in the yoga world. You know, in fact, I just saw some um, just kind of some terrible shit go down in the local yoga community around here, around this colonization and appropriation and some really blatant racism um, and so let, let's talk about this. So for listeners that aren't aware, um, I'm going to read this definition of cultural appropriation from Andrea McDonald as she wrote it on Elephant Journal. And I'll share a link to this um, uh, in the show notes. So here's what she says about cult- cultural appropriation. Cultural appropriation happens when the dominant, usually white, culture adopts aspects of a minority group's culture, usually to the detriment of the minority group. Cultural appropriation allows the dominant group to believe they are charitable or sensitive toward the minority group, displaying a, quote, genuine interest, unquote, in their culture, even while they are taking advantage of and oppressing them. (sighs) Oof. Yeah. 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 Right. And so I, th- so there's a lot of cultural appropriation within the yoga world, right? Because as white practitioners, you know, we are taking a practice that is 
historically and spiritually, you know, uh, woven within the roots of, you know, Indian culture and Hindu culture and all of that. And we, we've, uh, and, and we've westernized it and taken pieces of it and often not presented it in its whole form, you know, kind of the way that it might've been, you know, meant to be presented. And, um, you know, and in doing so, we can continue this, you know, appropriating. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of want to break this down a little bit. Like, I just kind of want to have a conversation about this because here's, so I, first of all, I think that, I think that we can practice and teach yoga without culturally appropriating, right. As white people. I really think we can. I think that it requires that we, that, that we learn, that we gain, a, you know, as much knowledge as we can about what we're teaching, that we have a respect and a reverence. I like you, you, know, you use that word reverence toward the culture of origin and that we, you know, look for these other places in our lives where we might be, um, you know, causing harm, and and we look at how we're then presenting, right? The the practice. What are your thoughts about this? Um, well, I mean, so I I think this this is really multifaceted. One thing that comes to mind for me is to develop the type of um, knowledge and sensitivity and just cultural awareness. I believe you would have to have a hell of a lot more than just a typical two hundred hour training. Yes. You know. I think there's definitely something to be said, just the fact that there are, you know, there's so many, there's so many yoga teachers, there's so many yoga teacher trainings, and there's nothing standardized about that, which is, you know, good and bad. Um, But I mean, it's really not that hard to become a yoga teacher in today's society. And so very few of us in that first fundamental training are given any of that information you know it's just like here's the postures here's some of the basic sanskrit here's some alignment cues great now go out and teach yoga and there's none of that there's so little of that in our training and i think in order to do it well our training first and foremost the people who are taking it upon themselves to offer teacher trainings it would look far more in depth it would be way more than 200 hours it would have a huge commitment of time, energy, and resources. Um, and I think there'd be fewer teachers, you know, to, it, it would look something a little bit more like, a, you know, almost like a master's or a doctorate in yoga. <laughs> so I think for it to be tackled systematically, it, it would look like that. It would mean that the way that the people who are taking it upon themselves to offer yoga teacher trainings would have to be much more insightful, much more in depth, and include some of that cultural heritage. A, big chunk of that cultural heritage in their education and their training. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that that's going to happen. So what do we as individuals do, right? So where do we start, right? I mean, I think it's, it's that classic thing of it's how we feel about our government right now, right? I mean, we feel the people that have been placed in charge, the powers that be, are not making the choices that represent us or empower us as people. 
So how do little old us, how do we affect change in our world? And I think it's, it's a microcosm of that here in the yoga world, right? We look around and we see how yoga is being um, taught, how yoga is being offered, how it's not being, um, there's no honor being paid to the, the true lineage of it and to the culture from which it hails. So we, it's us, you know, we, the ones who have chosen to be a part of this community, to take this on as, as a profession or a calling or an offering, we get to pay homage, right? We get to be the ones. And even if we're just a few small voices, um, we get to start that conversation, you know, just you and me sitting here talking and saying, I, I owe this lineage not to a you know a bunch of white people in spandex you know <laughs> thank you mother india thank you you know to all the practitioners who walked before me who came up you know thank you patanjali <laughs> you know yeah. thank you to yeah. everyone who came before me and may i may i honor may i be worthy and and i, and I think it's it's that what that spadhyaya right you know we keep doing the introspective work if we have taken on uh, if we've decided to take the seat of the teacher we must be an honorable and dedicated student. We must know our history. We must know where we come from. And we must share that every single time we sit down and offer something. This isn't mine alone. I didn't come up with this. There's a huge long lineage behind me. And I am grateful to be able to be a conduit to share that with you. So absolutely. You know, and I think that what you said about the Svidyadya is really important. And I think that part of our work as white yoga teachers must include a look at our racial biases. You know, the thing that I witnessed happen in uh, the yoga community, in a yoga community and near me, um, it was really interesting because it was, you know, an incident of a white teacher and a white leader um, cutting off and treating really poorly um, a much more senior yoga teacher who happens to be an Indian woman, you know, a, a mm. brown woman. And so, you know, the, the really, really tragic thing about all of this is that is the lack of accountability and the amount of defensiveness from the, the white leadership community. Nowhere was there an ability for them to say, wow, like we, we really fucked up. Like they never said that. They never said, wow, we really fucked this up. We see how, you know, we had these biases and wow, we hadn't examined them and thank you for calling this to our attention. Instead, they were deleting Facebook inquiries. They were deleting comments. They were saying, oh, you're not being respectful. This isn't, you know, you're not being a himsa. And it's like, no, we're raising questions. <laughs> we're calling you accountable. And so I, I really feel like, um, you know, real diversity training where we're learning to understand whiteness, understand our biases, and sh should be part of this training. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it would, you know, like I said, you know, if, if you were to do that, if you were to have the entry, right, be the bar be set a lot higher, you know, if it required a much more significant um, 
commitment of time, money, and energy to become a yoga teacher, I think the whole landscape would change, you know? Fewer people would actually sign up to do this because it'd be so much harder and require so much more of us. It would impact the way that we are able to share the practice with our students. Um, And, you know, maybe we would even be paid better, (laughs) which is a whole other conversation. So, I know. Well, you know, and I remember... Uh, speaking to this like kind of a new yoga teacher and we were I I brought up this conversation with him because I you know I find it really interesting and something that he was saying was um, he was saying well I basically teach fitness yoga because that's what the people want so I'm this this is another part of this nuance that I'm interested in exploring because I've actually been fired from yoga studios because I said, hey, you know, we're going to talk about this philosophical concept. We're going to do some more of this, um, these traditional bits because I'm studying with this other teacher. And it was not what people wanted. And it was a place where they just complained to the manager and I was let go. Like, it was kind of, you know, thankfully, that's fine. You know, whatever. But um, because, so, you know, and I said this in, I think, a couple podcasts ago where I think there's a need for some of, you know, ancient knowledge, not just yoga, but in other lineages to be updated, you know, to, to be able to be applied to our lives now. Right. You know, if, if yoga knowledge, for example, was written, you know, specifically for like young men in ashrams, let's just say, then how does that information need to adapt to all, you know, all of us who live in households? So that's just an example. Like I'm actually looking at this in, in the, the psychic information that I teach and share. It's like, wait a minute. Some of, some of the, like, for example, the ways of teaching have changed. Like you don't go and, and sleep at the foot of your master's or your, your, you know, your teacher's bed and live with them and serve mm-hmm. them. That's not how we learn anymore. The, the teaching methods have been updated. And so I, I think that there is a need for some information to be updated, but you know, how do we do that again without appropriating or colonizing you know, and, and I don't really know, I don't know that there's an answer to this. I just want to talk about it. And, you know, and kind of what this guy said, well, I give the people what they want. So what's Mm -hmm. that, you know, what's that line between giving people what they want and actually teaching them yoga? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I I have a friend who I I get together with somewhat regularly and will sit and drink tea and and geek out on all things yoga because most people don't really want to talk about yoga to the extent (laughs) that some of us want to talk about yoga. And she has a lovely philosophy about give people just enough of what they want so that you can give them what they need. And it's a little bit of that kind of, you know, spoonful of sugar, you know, get the medicine in there kind of a thing. And so there's an art to it, you know, because I think you can totally, I mean, you can, right? You can sit down and just be like, we're just going to talk about Santosha today. Like, I'm going to teach you three postures and I'm going to talk all about contentment. And it's true, probably, you know, and, and, you know, and minimalism and going with less and, you know, just, and people will probably probably leave, you know, <laughs> because they're not getting enough of what they, they needed or wanted as far as, you know, physical movement. 
Um, and it's, it's really an art and it's still one that I'm still developing in my own teaching where I know, I, you know, it's like, okay, you came because you want to move, you want to feel good in your body. Are there spaces in between where you are available to listen to this little nugget that needs mm -hmm. to be shared and offered? You know, it's like, okay, move your body, you know, sweat it out, twist this way, that way. The other thing, put your hand here, take a breath. Remember what it is just to be, you know, available and present and grateful for this moment, whatever it is, right? Um, and it's still something that I'm, I'm still learning on a daily moment to moment basis, you know, how oh, do yeah. I balance that? But um, I mean, as far as honoring, you know, the lineage, I think, I think it's just having an open and honest discussion about it too. You know, it's, it's funny that you say that because I've, for the, for the longest time, I've had this, this book idea that I've, it's been too long. I either need to write the damn book or I need to stop talking about it basically. <laughs> but just this idea of, so opening up this, you know, the lens of the, the yamas and the niyamas, right? Those kind of ethical principles of yoga. And unpacking them in a very like you know memoiric style you know like here's what it looks like in my own personal faltering seeking life to try and live with this value of truthfulness here's what it looks like on the daily in my life i realize this is not what you know the original um author or authors of this practice may be intended but here's me an earnest seeker trying to live by these principles and it will look different than the initial thing but i mean in order for this tradition to live it does have to live in us right and so it is going to change it is going to look different um as we you know white people enact it or just as as us practitioners right yeah. step forward so yeah. I, I, I wavered a little on that. I'm not sure if I answered your question. You but. know, I, I don't think it's an easy question to answer. And I don't actually know that it has, you know, that, that we've come to a place where we can answer it really clearly. Um, so I just really appreciate your willingness to, you know, give it a shot. And um, yeah, I, I think that this is an ongoing conversation that we need to be having. Right. So I'm just really glad that you wanted to have this conversation. So, so I, this is great. Um, I'd love for you to tell our listeners more about where they can find you and the really cool mm. stuff that you, that you're offering, like in your, your practice. Sure. Sure. Um, so right now, yeah, my website is at uh, backpocketjuju.com. And that's where everything is housed. Yeah, that was one of those just like, you know, came down from the cosmos. I was like, really? That's what I'm supposed to call it? Oh, oh, okay, cool. That, that's what it is. <laughs> I'm taking my, my marching orders from the cosmos. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, back pocket juju. And I, what do I have going on right now? I, this starting this month, I'm starting to offer just a free monthly um, community call on the full moon. So the next one is going to be on the 28th of March, I want to say. Um, and that's just basically, you know, uh, it's to open up the toolkit for anyone who has needs. So it's this idea of sitting down, creating a virtual space, just like you and I are doing right now, and being present with one another, creating a space that's safe and compassionate, and that we can just use some of these tools, you know, we'll do a little bit of breath work, we'll do a little bit of gentle movement, we will have time to call, you know, to reflect and share, um, and just to move through some of the really heavy stuff that's coming up um, collectively and individually right now and just creating a safe space where we kind of take that yoga and we move it beyond the mat and into 
our relationships in our community. So that's something that I'm excited to be offering um, soon. Um, yeah, and then I'm, I'm working one-on-one -on -one with people right now, which I'm really excited about. And that just basically looks like this, you know, we sit down and we have a conversation and we get really clear on where is it that you are failing or not even failing, where, where are you stuck? Where are you feeling like you are unable to move into alignment um, with your dreams, with your heart, with the kind of life you want to be leading? Where are you stuck and how can we bring in practices, supports, um, and a, a greater vision and um, move towards that together. So, so those are the two things I'm really, really excited about to be offering right now. So beautiful. So I'll make sure to put all the links um, to that in the show notes. So Amy, what's the one thing that you would like our listeners to know? Hmm. Well, you know, I, I love that your whole lens is all centered around this, you know, um, for the highly sensitive person, right? Because I think, for so long, those of us that have a thinner skin were told that there was something wrong with us, you know, like we grew up, you know, from a really young age feeling like, why couldn't we handle all the stuff that everyone else seemed to be able to handle, you know, like all the atrocities going on in the world, all of the, you know, even just some of the, the big emotions that we feel, you know, we were told that there was something wrong with us. And I love that we're moving into a time where that's shifting. We're actually like, actually, <laughs> this is a gift. I have an internal barometer that tells me what's up, you know? Like I feel things, be you know, sometimes before anyone around me even senses them. And this is my body, my heart, my cells telling me that the world around me is a little bit fucked up, <laughs> you know? And so I can use this information. I can use these resources. I can use this highly sensitive nature of mine to key into what needs to change, not in me, but around me. And so I, I, I just love that you are opening up that conversation. This is, that this is a gift, that this is not a liability, that this is not a burden, but this is our, our power and, and it's our time to use it. So, yes, it is. Well, Amy, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you, Anna. This is yeah. great. Awesome. Take care. You too. Bye. For information on everything shared here, including show notes and links, visit www.sensitivityuncensored.com forward slash soul of sensitivity.